is um, today is August 5th, 2023, as I said, and I will now turn the meeting over to Harlan G. Thank you so much, Tanya. Thank you, everybody, for coming today. I'm happy to be here. Last week, I was I, I was here last week, but man, I was not at my best by any stretch of the imagination last week. This week, I'm remarkably better. I've had COVID, and the only thing that's sort of a residual sort of problem is fatigue and a little bit of a tummy ache here and there, but mostly it's just fatigue, and I know that it will pass, and I'm going to be just fine, and everything's going to be just wonderful. And so uh, it, I'll put this behind me with the passage of time. Real glad to be here. Um, we are in the chapter to wives. And once we get going, we're going to get to the point uh, about 100, not, not, <laughs> not about on page 115, when you have carefully explained to such people. So we'll we'll sort of give a background, but we'll get to that page 115 when you have carefully explained. We have been in the chapter to wives and the chapter to wives deals with one of the aspects of step 12. And if we're going to if we're going to uh, go on the premise that every chapter in the big book of AA relates to a step, then when we when we are done with the chapter working with others, what do we see? We see two wives, the family afterward, and to the employer. So what are practicing these principles in all of our affairs? We have the wife or the significant other or the people closest to us. And then we have to the family afterward. So we have the people sort of on the next rung outside that immediate circle, the family afterward, and then we have to the employer. So we have a very uh, nice three chapter set that tells us about how to deal with from different perspectives, the people that are closest to us. And that is something that is extremely important. We have been examining the fact in this chapter that when you are dealing with an alcoholic, and this again ties into sponsorship, not only from the standpoint of being a sponsor, but from the standpoint of being the sponsee, being sponsored, that no one can really force God's timing. No one can really force you to be ready. No one can really force you to sort of quote unquote, get something before your time. And if there's anything I've said a million times, and I'll probably say it a million more times, it's that pain is not the best teacher. It is the only teacher. And when someone has not suffered enough pain yet, it is extremely unlikely that they are going to succumb to the work necessary to do these various steps, to endeavor to recover. Because to recover means you're going to have to let people in. To recover means you're going to have to do work. To recover means you're going to have to uncover, discover, and discard. And for many people, they are not going to do that until they are absolutely ready. I shouldn't have said for many people, for any person, we are not going to do that 
until we are absolutely ready to do so. And so I think that what we need to remember is that God's timing is not always our timing. God's ways are not always our ways. And if there's anything that we can be further convinced of in this chapter, it's that only God, only the work necessary to do this, only the effort necessary to do this work is going to produce the necessary spiritual awakening so as to bring about a recovery. So there's no way that any other human being, you may influence them positively, negatively, but ultimately that's going to, the, the recovery is going to be between the suffering addict and their higher power. Now, not everybody that gets into trouble with food is a compulsive overeater. And in this chapter, we have talked about the moderate eater, the heavy eater, and the alcoholic. And not everybody that is in OA is a compulsive overeater. There are people, and I'm not going to name them, and please don't ask me in the question and answers, do I think you are a compulsive overeater? Because I don't know. There's only one person that can know whether or not you have this physical allergy coupled with the mental twist. And then if you do, only a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps will help you. But there are people that come through the doors here and some stay for a long, long time that are non-compulsive overeaters. So I'm not here to dis discern who is and who isn't. I am not here to make determinations. So please do not ask me. As I say, the only one that can make this determination as to whether or not anyone is a compulsive overeater or not is the person themselves. Do you find that when you eat certain foods, you cannot stop? Do you find that when you eat certain foods, they do something for you that other foods don't seem to do for you? If when you eat certain foods, you find you cannot stop, and when you're not eating them, you desperately want to, chances are you are a compulsive overeater. And if that's not the case, there may be a situation where you are not. Now, that's not all foods. That's not all foods. Okay, page 115. When you have carefully explained to such people that he is a sick person, what people? The people around you. And you're talking about your spouse. You will have created a new atmosphere. Barriers which have sprung up between you and your friends will disappear with the growth of sympathetic understanding. You will no longer be self-conscious or feel you must apologize as though your husband were a weak character. He may be anything but that. Your new courage, good nature, and lack of self-consciousness will do wonders for you socially. So what we're talking about in this paragraph is when we can unhinge, uncouple from this idea that if dad, let's just assume for this little scenario that dad is the alcoholic and mother and the kids, they, what do they do? They, they, they want to know if you love me, why can't you stop drinking? And this is the lament of most families of alcoholics. Dad, if you loved me, you wouldn't drink so much. Or Harlan, if you loved us, you wouldn't eat so much. And the truth of the matter is 
I loved my friends. I didn't have a spouse at that time. I, I had a mother and a father, but they were uh, they were just as baffled as I was as to why I was doing what I was doing. They wished that they could have stopped me also. But, you know, the old thing is, if you loved me, you just wouldn't eat so much. If you loved me, you wouldn't drink so much. If you loved me, you wouldn't do this, this, or that. And the truth of the matter is, love has nothing at all to do with it. Love has absolutely nothing to do with it. If there's anything I can tell you, it's that this disease takes on a life of its own inside me. And when I am eating ice cream or when I'm eating pizza, that is all I want to do. I, I become an eating machine at that point. The same principle on 115, the same principle in, applies in dealing with the children. Unless they actually need protection from their father, it is best not to take sides in any argument he has with them while drinking. <clears throat> Use your energies to promote a better understanding all around. Then that terrible tension which grips the home of every problem drinker will be lessened. Very good advice. Frequently you have, I'm running through these paragraphs rather quickly. And the reason that I'm running through some of these paragraphs rather quickly is they're more self-explanatory than other parts of the book. So when something becomes very self-explanatory, very above board, I don't want to spend an inordinate amount of time on it. But if there are questions later, of course, ask them. Frequently, you have felt obliged to tell your husband's employer and his friends that he was sick, when as a matter of fact, he was tight. Tight is another word for drunk. You don't see people using that word anymore for drunk too much, but tight is another word for drunk. And that is something that they are uh, showing you here. All right. Avoid answering these inquiries as much as you can whenever possible. <clears throat> let your husband explain your desire to protect him should not cause you to lie to people when you have a right to know where he is and what he is doing. Discuss with him when he is sober and in good spirits. Ask him what you should do if he places you in such a position again, but be careful not to be resentful about the last time he did so. In other words, say to the person, what is it you want me to do? You're drunk. I don't want to tell people anything but the truth. I'm just going to tell them that you're sick. I'm just going to tell them that, you know, this is just not good. So there's, I'm, a, I'm on 116. There's another paralyzing fear. You may be afraid your husband will lose his position. You are thinking of the disgrace and hard time which will befall you and the children. This experience may come to you or you may already have, it, have had it several times. Should it happen again, regard it in a different light. Maybe it will prove a blessing. It may convince your husband he wants to stop drinking forever. And now you know that he can stop if he will. Time after time, this apparent calamity has been a boon to us, for it opened up a path which led to the discovery of God. Now, when they say that you can recover if you will, what they're referring to is an assumption that at this stage of the game, somebody in the equation has heard of the book Alcoholics Anonymous or heard of the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so this is an assumption that is made because of the fact that you're reading about this in this book. 
And so there is an assumption to be made that they or you know about the book and the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm in the middle of 116. We have elsewhere remarked how much better life is when lived on a spiritual plane. Now let's stop right there for just a second. Everything about my life, everything about my life is better when I am living my life on a spiritual plane, which means I'm working the steps. Um, one of the nice things that I have experienced because I've had COVID uh, is everybody is asking me, how much weight did you gain? How much weight did you gain? And I did pop up a couple of pounds. And the reason I popped up a couple of pounds, I went from walking three miles a day, six days a week, to having a very great deal of difficulty getting off the, getting out of my easy chair or out of bed. So I was, I became a couch potato almost overnight. I became a couch potato. So I did pop up a couple of pounds. However, the amount of weight that I have gained, half of it is already lost because I'm back into my walking the last couple of days. I'm back into more of an active life. And so half of the weight that I gained, I gained, I think, four pounds. Half of it is gone. I weigh myself every Friday, and half of that weight is gone as of yesterday. So I was very happy about that. But everything in my life is better when I live my life on a spiritual plane. If God can solve the age-old riddle of alcoholism, he can solve your problems too. We wives found that like everybody else, we were afflicted with pride, self-pity, vanity, and all the things which go to make up the self-centered person. And we were not above selfishness or dishonesty. As our husbands began to apply spiritual principles in their lives, we began to see the desirability of doing so too. So when a person is in a family or when a person is in a very small group, and you start to recover, you start to live your life according to spiritual principles, you will find, if you're anything like me, that it will make the people around you more aware of what you're doing. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes they also will grab onto those things and it will improve their life as well. Here's the caveat, do not force people do not have expectations of people and do not resent people that do not walk our path. There are wonderful, wonderful people in this world who do not want to walk the path of what we're doing here of recovery. That, that is not something that they want. It is not something that they feel any urgency about. And so our job is to practice acceptance and not to become angry, not to become judgmental, because maybe their time hasn't come yet. Maybe it will never be their time to do what it is we're doing. The only person in the entire world, the only person in the entire universe that has to know how important this is for me is me. I have to know that this is the number one thing in my life without any exception, without any exception. 
And if I don't live my life according to spiritual principles, and what are the spiritual principles? The spiritual principles are the steps, not the principle of this is this and the principle of that. No, that is not, that came out decades after Bill was already dead. Bill Wilson never heard of that in his life. When he talks about the principles, he's talking about the steps. The only way for me to live successfully in this world is for me to work the steps. Bottom of 116. At first, some of us did not believe we needed this help. We thought on the whole, we were pretty good women, capable of being nicer if our husbands stopped drinking. But it was a silly idea that we were too good to need God. Now we try to put spiritual principles to work in every department of our lives. When we do that, we find it solves our problems too. <clears throat> Sorry, it solves our problems too. The ensuing lack of fear, worry, and hurt feelings is a wonderful thing. We urge you to try our program for nothing will be so helpful to your husband as the radically changed attitude toward him, which God will show you how to have. Go along with your husband if you possibly can. Go along where? Go along to meetings. Go along you know, with these spiritual principles. And the most important thing for me to remember is I can be happy no matter whether somebody is drinking, somebody's not drinking, somebody is going left, somebody's going right. It doesn't matter. I have the availability at my fingertips to be happy no matter what the circumstances. My happiness, my peace of mind, my recovery is not in any way, shape, or form dependent upon the behaviors, the knowledge, the condition of any other human being on the face of this earth. There is not one person on the face of this earth. If I'm in fit spiritual condition, there's not a person, there's not a situation, there is no condition of this earth that can negatively affect my recovery if I am working the steps. And time after time after time after time, I get confronted with this by life. And that is somebody will call me up. I was going along just fine. And then somebody did this or somebody did that or somebody went left when they should have gone right. I had a woman call me up Oh, six, seven years ago, six, seven years ago. And she told me that she was going to go back into the food. She made this announcement. And the reason that she told me she was going to do this is if there's a God, then the presidential election would not have gone the way that it went. And I asked her, walk me through how you eating is going to change one thing about this world. And she had no answer, but I haven't heard from this person in a good seven or eight years. And the last time I uh, ran into this person, the last time I had contact with this person, she was at least at least 150, if not 200 pounds heavier than at any time that I had ever seen her. I mean, she just went hog wild with the food. 
Um, there are people who will call me up, and I'm sure you get these calls too. Maybe you've had these ideas. And the idea is how can there be a God if there was chattel slavery? How can there be a God if there was a Holocaust? How can there be a God if people are killing each other? Well, there is something that I do remember, and there is something that I do know, and it's on page 100 and uh, I believe 124. And on page 124, um, well, let me see if it's not 130. Yeah, oh, no, 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 132. Sorry about that. It's on page 132. And this is something that I consider all the time. So if you want to put your finger where it says 116, because that's where we're going to be, and um, or 117, right? Okay, now. On page 132, it says, we have been speaking to you of serious, sometimes tragic things. We have been dealing with alcohol in its worst aspect. We aren't a glum lot. If newcomers could see no joy or fun in our existence, they wouldn't want it. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. We try not to indulge in cynicism over the state of the nations, nor do we carry the world's troubles on our shoulders. When we see a man sinking into the mire that is alcoholism, we give him first aid and place what we have at his disposal. For his sake, we do recount and almost relive the horrors of our past. But those of us who have tried to shoulder the entire burden and trouble of others find we are soon overcome by them. Go back to page 117. Now, if you could convince me that me eating ice cream is going to bring one person back from the Holocaust, I will eat ice cream with you. If you can convince me that one injustice of this world would be corrected by me eating pizza, I will eat pizza with you. But you cannot convince me that me eating pizza or me eating ice cream is going to help anyone or anything. So these things become an excuse rather than a reason. Remember that there are excuses to eat, but never a reason. The reason that we look at is we just want to eat so we can feel better immediately. But we have the steps, we have the fellowship, and we can work the steps and feel better without the food. So that's very important for me to remember. And that is eating never solved one injustice. Eating never did one thing to help the downtrodden. It never did anything to help anyone. So when we look at these things, we're looking at excuses, not reasons. Tapa 117. If you and your husband find a solution for the pressing problem of drink, you are, of course, going to be very happy, but all problems will not be solved at once. Seed has started to sprout in a new soil, but growth has only begun. In spite of your newfound happiness, there will be ups and downs. Now, let's stop right there for just a second. One of the misconceptions about this program one of the things that's not in the big book that everybody sees so clearly in the big book is this sentence that is not in there. 
When you start working the steps, everything is going to go your way. You're going to win the lottery. You're going to win the mega millions. You're going to, everybody is just going to do what you want them to do. They're going to think what you want them to think. They're going to, they're just going to, they're just going to do what it is that you want them to do. And that sentence is not in the big book at all, nor is that idea. It's not intimated, nothing. The world is full of ups and downs. What we have is a way of living that works in rough going. It works in good going. It works in rough going. But there is nothing in this book that says squarely arrived at this point, you will now get everything that your heart desires. What it says is many times do the work and you will get a life beyond your wildest dreams. You will do the work and the promises will come true for you but there's going to be problems. Hey, I'm still 69 years old. I still had COVID. I got COVID. Hey, I still have chronic AFib. Hey, I still have whatever I have. I don't know. I wish this was different or that was different. Oh, I wish a lot of things were different, but they're not. So how is me eating going to help that situation? The answer very clearly, very loudly, very plainly is it's not going to help that situation. It's not going to help it at all. Many of the old problems will still be with you. This is as it should be. And this is the way we grow. We grow by tackling these challenges as an adult, because the way we used to tackle these challenges was with food in our mouth and food in our head and food in our stomach. Now we can tackle these challenges with the program of recovery as our crutch, as what we lean on. This is what I'm going to lean on today are the steps rather than the food. Page 117, the faith and serenity of both you and your husband will be put to the test. These workouts should be regarded as part of your education, for thus you will be learning to live. You will make mistakes, but if you are in earnest, they will not drag you down. Instead, you will capitalize them. A better way of life will emerge when they are overcome. Every time I face a challenge, and I face many challenges today, I face many challenges today. I face challenges in just about every area of my life. And there are times when, like anyone else, I throw my hands up and say, why me? And what's going on? And blah, blah, blah. But here's what I do. I do a 10 step. Here's what I do. I get my butt to a meeting. Here's what I don't do. I don't put excess food in my mouth. I just do not put excess food in my mouth. That is not one of the options. Why don't I do that? Well, for today, I am in fit spiritual condition. The other thing that I will tell you unequivocally, and I will tell you this until the day I die, I have put food in my mouth on thousands and thousands and thousands of occasions. And I have put food in my mouth for various excuses. Never one time has eating more food solved one problem. Never has eating any food 
given me the ultimate result that I wanted. It gave me a very instant sense of ease and comfort that Dr. Silkworth calls the effect, but my excess food never put one penny extra in my pocket. It never made any girl fall in love with me. It never made me younger. It never made me older. It never made me thinner. It never made me smarter. And it never made me better. The only thing that the food did was it temporarily gave me a sense of ease and comfort. And here's the sucky part about food. When you have an alcohol problem, you can stay drunk for a while. When you have a drug problem, you can stay high for a while. When you have a whatever problem, the effect of the anesthetic is longer. When I eat whatever, pizza, Chips Ahoy, Oreos, whatever it is I eat, the amount of anesthetic that I get might be nine seconds, maybe eight, maybe 10. But the amount of anesthetic that I get is so damn short. Now, will that stop me from eating? Never has, never will. No, because my mental blank spot, the built-in forgetter, stands in the window, of Mc, not in the window, in the drive-through at McDonald's and says, this time the fries are going to work. This time it's going to be okay. This time it's going to be different. And it never, ever, ever is. I have eaten railroad cars full of Oreo cookies to kill the guilt and the shame and the horror of eating railroad cars full of Oreo cookies. I hope that makes sense. What I'm trying to illustrate is I have eaten food to drown the pain of eating the food. It sounds like insanity. And the reason it sounds like insanity is because it is. It is insanity. There is a form of insanity that I was born with. And if you need further explanation on it, see chapter three, the best explanation of how insane this is, is in chapter three, more about alcoholism. Let's move forward. We're in the middle of 117. Some of the snags you will encounter are irritation, hurt feelings, and resentments. Your husband will sometimes be unreasonable and you will want to criticize. Starting from a speck on the domestic horizon, great thunderclouds of dispute may gather. These family dissensions are very dangerous, especially to your husband. Often you must carry the burden of avoiding them or keeping them under control. Never forget that resentment is a deadly hazard to an alcoholic. What we do not mean that you have to agree with your husband whenever there is an honest difference of opinion. Just be careful not to disagree in a resentful or critical spirit. So in other words, say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it meanly. 
We are not in a war. We don't have to get our way. That is the rantings and ravings of the disease where I have to be right. What are some of the things that all addicts do? We are, we lie, we fight battles that don't exist, we keep score in our relationships, and we assign blame. But what about the ego? Let's tie in the ego. What are the three things that the ego does, and it does it beautifully? Make me right. I have to be right. I've asked this question many times. Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And invariably, the person says, I'm only happy when I'm right. And I says, well, you better you better come off that thinking because that thinking is going to drive you right back into the arms of a Reese's peanut butter cup if you're not careful. Make me right. Make me feel good right now. And um make me different from everybody else. Those are the three things that ego loves to do. Make me right, make me different from everybody else, and make me feel good right now. How many times have you sat in meetings, whether they were live or whether they were on Zoom, and a person said, I didn't know this, I didn't think the steps would work for me. Well, that's the action of the ego. If you work the steps, you will get the results. You know, I don't know very much about exercise physiology. I am not a physician and I'm not, most physicians may not know it either. I don't know, but I am not an expert on exercise physiology. I don't know the science of walking and running and swimming and jumping and doing whatever. But six days a week, I get up and I get my butt out there and I couldn't do it for a while. This is only the second, I've only been able to do this two days, but I walk my three miles and I get a tremendous benefit. Do I understand the physiology of it, the science of it, the how and the why of it? Absolutely, I do not. All I know is that there's benefit. And what I do know is there is tremendous benefit on foregoing that temptation to always be right. Sometimes I just have to be humble. I'm not always right. Even though I want to think that I am, I am not always right. Top of 118, you and your husband will find that you can dispose of serious problems easier than you can the trivial ones. Let's stop right there for just a second. When things are really serious, it seems pretty apparent what the path is. But the little trivial ones, you know, uh, if you know any police officers, and I, I happen to know a police officer, he's retired. He was a Chicago policeman for a long time. And I vended with him and I've been friends with him for 50 years. He he reports, and most of the calls that he got during his career were for domestic disputes where the husband and the wife wanted to kill one another. And what does it always boil down to? It's never about the ketchup. It's never about the pancake syrup. It's never about any of that. It's about deeper, deeper, deeper issues. So these little trivial things you know what they say, if it's historical, it's his, if it's hysterical, it's historical. So we have to, that's why we need inventory. 
That's why we have to uncover, discover, and discard these things that have been blocking us from God. There was a question on vision yesterday. I think I answered it. Pretty sure I did. I answered the question. Woman calls in and says, why do we need to clean house? Well, one of the things that we need to do when we do our inventories is we need to uncover, discover, and discard the things that have been blocking us from God. But another thing that is quite important is by doing these inventories, we clean out the closet. We clean out all these old resentments, these old fears, these old uh, you know, grudges, things like that. So it's very, very important. Okay, top of 118. Next time you have a heated discussion, no matter what the subject, it should be the privilege of either to smile and say, this is getting serious. I'm sorry I got disturbed. Let's talk about it later. Now, I don't know how well that's going to fly in your house. When I was married, that was not always a very strategic way to go. <clears throat> However, I did try it on several occasions, and sometimes it worked, but more often than not, it did not. So, but you can sure you can certainly try it. I hope you'll get better results with that than I ever got. I hope your results are better. Uh, you know what they say, results may vary based on your driving habits. Mileage may vary, I'm sorry. Mileage may vary based on your driving habits. Okay. If your husband is trying to live on a spiritual basis, he will also be doing everything in his power to avoid disagreement or contention. And sometimes that's true. And sometimes when we're in the disease, we want to fight. We want to argue because we have that need to be right. We have that need to assert ourselves, to manipulate that selfishness, that, you know, that, that selfishness, that dishonesty. And this is what we do. We just want to be right. We figure that by winning the argument that this is our way of asserting ourselves in the equation. And of course, it's never the case. Your husband knows he owes you more than sobriety. He wants to make good, yet you must not expect too much. Now, let's stop again, because when the big book wants to teach us anything, it teaches it to us through repetition. It never just gives us information once or twice. It gives us information lots and lots of times. So what we're seeing here is a repetition of something that we just talked about, and it says here, you must not expect too much. Remember two minutes ago, we were talking about when you get into recovery, if you're behind on your taxes, you're still going to be behind on your taxes. If you're behind on your credit card, you're still going to be behind on your credit card. If you are whatever in your marriage, in your friends, in whatever that may be, that will still be in place. Well, this is another thing. It says here, um, you must not expect too much. Who are you expecting too much from? Not always another person. You're expecting too much too soon from God. Now, we have a right to expect everything from God. So why am I contradicting myself? Well, God will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. But he will not do for you what you can do for yourself. And if you are constantly arguing with your spouse and you will not close the mouth and just be at peace, 
God knows you have free will. You can do whatever you want. If God knows that you are spending your money on lottery tickets instead of paying your credit card bill, if God knows that you are spending your money on, on whatever instead of paying your bills, he is not going to intervene on that. God will do for me what I cannot do for myself. But as far as I know, in my 69 years of life, I'm going to have to wake up on Monday morning and walk. I'm going to have to wake up on Monday morning and get my butt to the meeting. I am on vision. I am going to have to get up and work. I am going to have to get on this phone and make it turn into money. I'm going to have to go shopping for groceries and do what it is I need to do. God is not, hey, God, could you pick me up some peaches and some eggs and maybe a little salmon for tonight? No, I have to get my tuchus to the store and buy it myself. So the expectations need to be tempered. God will do for me what I cannot do for myself. God will not do for me, at least in my experience, what I can do for myself. Okay, let's continue. His ways of thinking and doing are the habits of years. And that is you sober up a horse thief. Now you have a sober horse thief. And that means that if someone is an ornery little bastard and they get sober until there's a lot of until there's a lot of change that comes about as the result of recovery, they're going to be ornery little bastards. And if they're been if they were nice before, they're probably going to be nice afterwards. But recovery takes time to seep into your life. It doesn't change you immediately. The one thing you do notice, obviously, is you're not drinking anymore. And sometimes as the result of the first few steps, you start to see a different sort of aura around the person. And we're reminded of that in the story of Bill Dotson. You know, Bill Dotson was AA number three. And Bill Dotson was the subject of a painting that's a very kind of famous painting. I'll bring it up here on my virtual background. I do have it. I don't know if I have to dig deeper into my uh, my little library of pictures here. I do have it. And it's the man on the bed. The man on the bed is a very famous painting and it is a depiction. None of the people actually look like Bill or Bob or Dotson or anybody. Nobody really looks, you know, that here it is. This is the man on the bed and the guy in the underwear, he's Bill Dotson and the guy uh, in the light is Dr. Bob and the guy with his back to us is Bill Wilson. And this depicts very, very famous incident of Bill and Bob going to visit Alcoholics number three, Bill Dotson, the famous man on the bed. And Bill Dotson, his wife, Henrietta. Now, Dr. Bob was sponsoring 16 days after he got sober. How many of you are sponsoring 16 days after you got sober? And Bill Dotson wasn't the first person he called on. He was the third, but the first two didn't need. And that's why we say work the steps quickly. But Bill Dotson was visited by these guys on the 26th of June. 
16 days after Bob got sober, 26th of June, he left the hospital on the 4th of July. And his wife, Henrietta, remarked that as the result of working these steps, he looked different. He sounded different. He had been changed. And Bill Dotson never found it necessary to drink again. And he died in November of 1950 in Akron with 15 years of solid sobriety. So sometimes the changes are very sudden, very profound, and other times they take a little while longer. I know that in my case, there are changes that come about as the result of time passing and work being done. I am not the same person that I was when I got abstinent 24 years ago. I am a very different person. There have been many, many changes in my life. I am healing today in areas I did not even know were broken. I did not even know where there was a problem there. And I'm healing in these areas today, not because I'm such a good guy, but because God has had the time to seep into my life at the core of my cells and change me for the better. He is giving me an opportunity to grow and giving me an opportunity to heal. And he is changing me in ways I did not even know needed to be changed. But keep your expectations realistic. Keep working. Keep doing the steps. Don't ever stop. The worst thing we can do is to put the food in our mouth and stop working the steps. That is the worst thing we can do because then everything goes right to hell in a handbasket. His ways of thinking and doing are the habits of years. Patience, tolerance, understanding, and love are the watchwords, not just with others, but also with yourself. And I want to point that out because it's very important. We're talking in this chapter about love and tolerance of others. Have some love and tolerance for yourself. Because the relationships that are permanent in our life are two of them. The only two relationships in a human life that never, ever, ever go away are the relationship you have with yourself and the relationship that you have with God. And so many of us are so prone to beating on ourselves unmercifully that we do a lot of damage. So in this chapter, you're reading again and again and again about love and tolerance of others, love and understanding, love and tolerance. Have some for yourself. Save some for me. Because this is very key. This is very, very key is to love yourself in a healthy way. I'm not telling you narcissistic way. I'm not telling you to love yourself in a way that is unhealthy, ego-driven madness, ego-driven you know, insanity. But what I am saying to you is that all other relationships in your life are going to come and go. 
You had friends. Some of them are still your friends. Some of them are not. You have a spouse or you have this. Or you have, all other relationships may come and go. But the two relationships that you have that are permanent are the relationship you have with yourself and the relationship you have with God. And so as we talk about love and tolerance for others, have some for yourself. And remember this as a bottom line. A hammer to your head is not one of the tools of recovery. So whether you are wielding that hammer to your own head or someone else is wielding a hammer to your head, it is not one of the tools of recovery. Very important. Many years ago, I had just moved to Eugene, Oregon. We were living there for just a few days. And this was the winter of 93. There, I didn't have a cell phone. My wife didn't have a cell phone. Uh, there was no Google Maps and Google this and that. There was no such thing in those days. You know, the, Trust me, it, it seems like it's stone ages, but there was no such thing. And we went out and it was just the two of us. We didn't have our, our daughter for a couple more years. We went out for dinner and we got lost. I had never lived in Eugene, Oregon before. We got lost. Oh, I was fit to be tied. I was so mad at myself. I was so mad at myself. And I'm swearing and calling myself names. And my wife at that time, she took my hand. And she said, Harlan, if you talk to your friends the way you talk to yourself, would you have any? And the answer is no. Let's be kind to ourselves. Now, asterisk, being kind to myself does not mean that I go out and eat ice cream today. Being kind to myself does not mean that I'm going to go out and I'm going to eat pizza today. Doesn't mean that at all. It's, that is not what I'm going to be doing. Being kind to myself means that I work the steps. Being kind to myself means that I stay out of the damn food. Being kind to myself means that I give of myself to others with no expectation of return. And if, to the best of my ability, I am here to serve God. No other job on my agenda is as important as being of maximum service to God and the people about me. Nothing is that important. So when we read these words, of patience, tolerance, and understanding, and love are the watchwords. It says, show him these things in yourself, and they will be reflected back to you from him. Live and let live is the rule. If you both show a willingness to remedy your own defects, there will be little need to criticize each other. Apply that to yourself. You deserve a friend like you. You deserve somebody in your life like you that loves you unconditionally, that understands you, 
and that appreciates you. How do you get to that point specifically? By doing self-esteemable things throughout your day, helping others, keeping your word to yourself, not lying to yourself, not abusing yourself with food, not abusing yourself with emotional flagellation, not doing any of the things that make you feel bad, but doing the things that make you feel good. And what are those things specifically? Work your steps, stay out of the food, and treat yourself as you would a best friend. And when you learn to treat yourself like a best friend, you start to understand that this is a disease of self-loathing. This is definitely a disease of self-loathing. And when you can loathe yourself less, you can love yourself more. And when you can love yourself more in a healthy way, and you can be grateful, and you can count your blessings, you will not find it necessary to put ice cream in your mouth. I give you my word that this works. What are some of the most important words ever written? They're on page 88 of the big book of AA. What are those words? It works. It really does. You deserve a loving, kind friend. Just like is as described in this chapter, you deserve that for yourself. Stop waiting for others to treat you this way. They may not be capable of it. You can treat yourself this way. And when you treat yourself this way, you will tolerate a lot less abuse from others and yourself. You, don't, you do not need to be abused. You are a child of God and you have the right to be here. You are as the trees and the stars. You have every right to be here, and you treat yourself in a respectful, loving way, and you will find that if nothing else changes, you will be a happier person. I do not allow anyone to abuse me, and I do not abuse myself. I don't I don't hang with people that are abusers. I have had to give up lifelong friends that do not know what it's like to go out to lunch or dinner and not be abusive to the wait staff. I do not hang with those people. I do not hang with people that verbally chastise salespeople in, in stores. I do not do that because I don't want to be around that. I just don't want to be around that. Let's do one more paragraph and then we'll transition. We women carry with us a picture of the ideal man, the sort of chap we would like our husbands to be. It is the most natural thing in the world once his liquor problem is solved to feel he will now measure up to that cherished vision. The chances are he will not. For like yourself, he is just beginning his development. Be patient. And that just doesn't mean be patient with others. It also means what? Be patient with God and be patient with yourself. Very, very important. So it is not something that has instant, instant results. 
very understand, very uh, easy to understand, and sometimes not easy to do. So we have to be patient with God and be patient with ourselves. Okay, before I give this back to Tanya, um, I'm going to make a few 